You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hey there, Jean-Marie Penel here with an important announcement. I wanted to share something before I shared my conversation with today's guest. And that is that there are two opportunities for you to get more support, to listen to inspirational speakers and such, because there are two free conferences that I want to share with you. And all of this will be in the show notes. So for more information, please check out the show notes. But the first one is starting November 7th. And that is the fifth Childhood Potential Conference, which is a Montessori uh, dedicated, and this year it is dedicated to babies and toddlers. And I am going to participate in this one. I'm actually speaking on the first day about the importance of observation. This is an important topic uh, that I like to share about. So the Childhood Potential Conference is starting November 7th. This is with over 50 speakers and it is completely free. So check out that link in the show notes. And then the other one is uh, friends of mine, Jason and Cecilia have been doing Happily Family. And I think this is the 11th, if I'm not mistaken. And again, this is a free online conference. It's starting November 10th and it has some world-renowned speakers, including Uh, Dr. Dan Siegel that I often mention. He's the one that I refer to, the brain in the palm of the hand. Uh, Renee Jane, uh, Devin Gunsmund, who speaks a lot about uh, toddlerhood and so forth. Just a great, uh, great, great lineup. And again, this is entirely free. So that is the Happily Family free online conference called Mindful Parenting and Emotional Wellness. So both of those will be in the show notes, and I just wanted to share that with you before uh, we have our conversation today. Alrighty, enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel, and today my guest, Bethany Warren, is a lovely human being that I had the honor of meeting in person, I think many years ago through some networking events, and we have reconnected and wanted her to come on the show to talk about um, mental health, but more specifically perinatal mental health. So we will go into that. Uh, Bethany, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. 
Oh my goodness. I'm sure you just heard me go, mm, thank you so much, Yomari, for having me. This is such an honor to be here. I just value you too as a human being. And this was such an honor to uh, be here with you on your oh. podcast. I love your podcast and I love the topics that you've been bringing to parents to help support and uplift them. So glad to be here. Oh, lovely. Well, um, I would love to start with a question that I asked all of my guests, and that is, what is your personal definition of the art of parenting? I think that's such a great title of your podcast, because it really is an art, isn't it? It is the um, idea of um, not just science or not just data or not just the supposed to's or not just like shame-based or, you know, anything like that. It really is trusting your intuition and attunement, I think, to not only yourself, but also your child and their temperament and what are they needing at various times and developmental stages, what you're needing at various times, drawing from your own maybe cultural experience, drawing from your own internal wisdom. Um, it's like a cauldron, right? <laughs> like kind of this uh, mix of all these beautiful things. For a lot of parents, especially the ones that I'm working with, sometimes it might be parenting differently from the way that they were parented, maybe healing from some attachment wounds from childhood, but also still wanting to retain some of the good stuff that they got. And so that's, I guess, a long-winded way of saying, I think it is an art. I think it is a continual attunement to self and your baby and your child and your your family. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. No, it's not. No. And I love your, your definition because it really does encompass all of it, the right, the ourselves, the child, the our background, our culture, everything. So that is beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, and before we get too involved in our conversation, if you could share with our listeners a little bit about yourself, your work, and and how you came to do the work that you're doing today with parents. Oh yeah. So I'm uh, an LCSW, licensed clinical social worker, and I'm a psychotherapist in private practice here in San Diego. And I have been doing this more than 20 years, which sometimes is mind blowing to me. Um, but I've specialized in perinatal mental health and I'm certified in perinatal mental health and also something called EMDR therapy, which is a, a form of trauma therapy. And I specialize in the reproductive period. So folks who are going through infertility struggles, those who have lost pregnancies and babies, uh, those who are experiencing challenges around their pregnancy and postpartum difficulties, uh, those who've experienced reproductive and birth trauma, um, and people who have what we call perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, PMADS. In other words, uh, you know, uh, like what we used to call postpartum depression. So mood and emotional changes during this time. So I have been doing this work for a long time. I actually started out working in a hospital at a, a maternal mental health floor. And oh my gosh, I just fell in love with um, working with new parents and through this reproductive stage and eventually moved on from 
the more kind of crisis intervention and working just in the hospital to then wanting to do more of the long-term work, really wanting to see people through their parenting journey. So whether, again, like I referenced before, it was healing from some childhood wounds of one's own, maybe while simultaneously healing from a traumatic birth or uh, working through infertility challenges while wanting to prepare for being the best parent one could be. I really love more of the long-term work, holding space and being with people as they're growing and changing. Um, The short-term crisis work was really interesting. It was very fast-paced. It was great while I was in my 20s, Um, but uh, I just love now being with people for the time that it takes, even if it's, you know, years. And what beautiful work to to be doing with, you know, with parents, because for me, it's, you know, parenting is so much about our own journey and, and sometimes our, our own healing so that we can show up for our children. So thank you. I mean, it, it's very important work. And, and I wish, you know, you, you, you said about wanting to be the best parent is to me, I, I, I just so wish that there was like this kind of, not mandatory, because I don't like anything mandatory, but that we would, that it would be kind of a cultural norm that we prepare ourselves to be parents, right? We we prepare for exams, we prepare to get a driver's license, yet we are handed this baby and then poof, off we go and there's not much preparation, so... Oh my gosh, we're speaking the same language. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly, not the mandatory aspect, but right. the cultural norm. And I would even add to that that then there would be accessibility to resources for all new parents and parents to be um, to help them achieve that because not everybody, we're not all starting at the same start line, in other words. And So some folks are coming from backgrounds where maybe they didn't see modeling of, you know, loving touch or that they didn't get, you know, even compassionate, affirming words or that they didn't maybe even feel safe or that they came from very vulnerable homes where they didn't know when food was coming next, et cetera. So um, they are drawing from maybe their own internal resources and doing the very very best they can. I mean, I don't know any parent that isn't doing the best they can, but sometimes people don't have external resources to be able to draw from. So yeah, I agree with you. I wish there could almost be like a coupon when anybody is trying to become a parent that's like, here you go. Here are some resources that you can access for free to help support you in this journey. And that, I mean, that to me is almost, you know, a whole other conversation because I know for, for myself, my, my experience with uh, both my births, so I did have some losses in between, but the my first child was born in France and my second here in the U.S. And just the the prenatal care and the postpartum care are just so, so different. And to me, it's like, you know, when we have kind of family centric governments who, who are really pro family, uh, it's a, it's a whole, you know, it's a whole other world. And so, I mean, I don't want to get into politics, but it's, it's, you know, it's like culturally there's just, there's, there's huge differences from country to country of how we support new parents or parents to be. 
So. Yeah. Well, and I remember you and I really bonded over that when we met so long ago, just the differences between the two countries and how um, there's such inspiration that can be drawn from how other uh, countries and cultures do things. And yes, oh my gosh, like how, I mean, it is political on one hand, but on the other, it's, you know, I think that word can get so, um, I don't know, like charged sometimes, but yeah, there aren't always great resources for folks or that there's inequity amongst the resources. So if you, I mean, I'll just use a perfect example, like paid parenting leave. So if folks don't have access to that, then what are the chances that bonding is going to be protected and supported or that breastfeeding, for example, is going to um, be supported and as parents return to the workplace, if there's not laws in place to support them in time to pump or, you know, blah, 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 but all of that. Right. No, but it's so true. So true. I mean, in, and in France, it's just, it's federal. It's a, it's, it's just, you know, it's just a, uh, and, and I've, you know, I've explained this to, to people. It's true that France, you know, had two world wars and there were many, many, you know, people that died. So there was this real need to repopulate the country in a sense. So, so that whole concept, I think, came from that. But we've kept that where, you know, I was able to take three weeks off before giving birth and I had three months after. And I kept my job. Uh, you know, I had, I mean, I, I don't think it was full salary, but it was, it was, I could live on it. Uh, I was even helped with getting help to come at home to care for my child when I went back to work. I mean, so it's just very, you know, very different. We're here. I remember thinking to myself, thank goodness I had a child before that I could learn because if this is the way that we treat women where, you know, it's like you're sent home with this 24 hour old human being and you're just told, like, did you watch the video to not shake them? And that was about it. Yes. You know, yes. And, and I was like, are you serious? Like, this is how you said. <laughs> and and so, yeah, in France, I, I remember I stayed in the maternity ward until my newborn had regained her birth weight. That's that's when they let you go home. So you have, you know, two or three days to recuperate, to be shown how to breastfeed, how to bathe your baby, uh, you know, all these things that to me is just like common sense. But, but anyways, okay, <laughs> enough of that. <laughs> well, it's so important. And so when we're it seeing is. rising rates of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, when we're seeing rising rates of birth trauma and some people are like clutch my pearls like I'm I'm marveling at that I'm I'm so shocked it's those of us who are doing this work are like we're not shocked and so what we are continually I think working on is not only prevention of course but the the treatment accessibility to these resources so I I'm really grateful for this conversation because it is important it is. It is. Um, and I would love, Beth, if you could take a moment to maybe define for our listeners when you say 
PMEDS, is that how you pronounce it? Which it, which used to be just the postpartum depression, what we called it, but now it encompasses many more. And, and I would love if you could just spend a little bit of time explaining that. Oh, I would love to. I can talk about this till I'm blue in the face. Um, yeah, so the reason why we don't really say postpartum depression anymore is not because it's like not cool or PC or anything like that, but it's more because when we used to describe this as postpartum depression, which you know we did when I was first starting out in my career, you know, so long ago, that postpartum really does indicate that this can start after, only after you have your baby. And depression, of course, is a misnomer, meaning that it can only be depression symptoms. And that's actually not the case. So there is so much more in terms of mood and and emotional changes that a parent can experience other than depression. And it starts and can start during pregnancy for a lot of people. So that's why we now call it perinatal, meaning in the pregnancy and the postpartum period. And uh, we are calling it mood and anxiety disorders. But we call it PMADS for short, because perinatal mood and anxiety disorders is a very long thing to say. Um, But it is much more than depression. So for example, while depression can impact one out of seven women and one out of 10 fathers and same-sex parents, anxiety symptoms are actually way more common. And that's about one every out of every five women. And again, out of one to seven, one to 10 dads and same sex partners. Um, And there can also be perinatal onset obsessive compulsive disorder symptoms, uh, onset of bipolar disorder, onset of post-traumatic stress disorder, an onset of psychosis, which while extremely rare, is still uh, a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And so the reason why it's important to know that there are these various mood and anxiety disorders outside of depression is that, you know, imagine if all you've ever heard about is postpartum depression. And here you are in your, let's say, 20th week of pregnancy, and you've been noticing increased anxiety and worry. And now you're actually having some intrusive pop thoughts popping into your mind where you're picturing, you know, bad things happening to you. You're picturing, you know, horrific stuff, or maybe even you're picturing like harm coming to the baby that's not even here yet, but you're starting to think like, what is wrong with me? Like all I've ever heard about is depression, which at what I'm picturing at that point at 20 weeks means, I'm just sitting around crying or I'm not wanting to hold my baby. You know, sometimes people haven't been educated about what that can look like. And so they think it looks like X when in fact it can look like Y, Z, A, B, C. So in other words, when someone just thinks that postpartum depression is the only um, mental health complication, then folks weren't reaching out for help and they were sitting in shame and sitting in silence and then it was going untreated. And what can happen when these moods go untreated is they can just continue and even roll into another pregnancy, even years down the road, and they can worsen. And that is just suffering unnecessarily. And so that's why I really can talk about this forever is I just love to empower and educate folks. This is temporary. This is treatable. 
luckily PMEDs respond really well to treatment. So it is important to know what to look out for. So Beth, thank you for that explanation and to, to just be aware that there are so many variables in our perinatal health. But uh, for our listeners who might be in this reproductive journey, what would be some maybe some red flags to be attentive to mm-hmm. that because you, you kind of mentioned, you know, some intruding thoughts, things like that. But what are there any other things that you would say, hey, why don't you check in with a professional or let a friend know? Or, you know, because I think to me, it's always when you have a doubt, it's good to just voice it and not keep it to yourself. So what would be some of those red flags? Yeah, I think it's a great question. The thing first I would want everyone to know is your moods are going to change with becoming a parent. Your your emotions are going to change during pregnancy and in the postpartum period. And I think it's important that first we depathologize that for lack of a better term, I just think it's good for us to talk about that. How could they not change? Like this is the biggest developmental and life change that you'll ever go through in your life, probably in becoming a parent and, um, you know, that term matrescence in describing the phase of becoming a mother, although I haven't heard one yet for becoming a father, patrescence, maybe. Um, The idea of this major developmental shift similar to adolescence being a developmental shift between childhood and adulthood just there's so many hormonal changes there's so many emotional changes there are physical changes up the wazoo Um, but also it is bringing up like we had talked about previously you know maybe some of your own parenting from your family of origin and maybe you're starting to realize what you know, strengths you were given as gifts and maybe what deficits or challenges you're now working with. So in other words, it's a lot. And then if you have had infertility uh, struggles or challenges, if you're having pregnancy complications, if you've learned that there might be things that you are high risk or aspects of your pregnancy that are high risk or that the baby is high risk, et cetera. So it is a lot. You're, you're, moods and emotions are going to change. So I love that you're asking that this kind of differentiation of what do you go check out? When do you seek help? I always like to tell people you're the best advocate and expert on you. And so if you are feeling out uh, off, please go get help. You don't have to be at this like severely impacted level to deserve care and support. If you are feeling off and could benefit from support, then you deserve support. You deserve professional treatment with a therapist, with a support group, et cetera. Um, But some good red flags to look out for. I like to always use the the three words are um, frequency, intensity, and duration, meaning a great example are those intrusive thoughts we're talking about. 
every parent, literally about 90% of parents experience intrusive thoughts. And what we're talking about intrusive thoughts are a classic one is you see a picture of you dropping the baby as you're walking up the stairs. It's very protective of your brain, actually, for you to see bad things happening, even though it's distressing as heck, so that you then are cautious around the stairs, cautious around, you know, these certain situations. But the idea of let's use duration, intensity, and frequency. I always like to use those as gauges. Duration meaning how uh, long have these intrusive thoughts been going on for you? Because yes, every parent experiences these, or most parents do, um, but have these intrusive thoughts been coming at you for weeks? Have they been coming at you for months? Or the intensity, meaning are these intrusive thoughts so intense and so severe that it's really hard to focus on anything else when they're around and when they kind of hit in your brain? Are they now on this like hamster wheel over and over that it's hard for you because you're perseverating on them and ruminating on them so much it's hard for you to focus on anything else? And then what did I say? Duration, intensity, frequency. <laughs> are they happening so often throughout the day that it's hard to focus on other things? It makes it hard to get stuff done, et cetera. So some red flags are if, if you are noticing your functioning being impacted, um, again, duration, intensity, frequency, if there are maybe your functioning is fine, but it's just that much harder to do things, whether it's because of anxiety, whether it's because of lack of motivation, irritability is a biggie that it's impacting your relationships, et cetera. So whatever the symptom is, if it's at those degrees, I always think that that is a good red flag. Um, another red flag, of course, is if there are uh, serious symptoms, if there are any safety symptoms, while it is very rare for parents to have psychotic symptoms in terms of like seeing things that aren't there, hearing things that aren't there, having very strange or delusional thoughts, incredibly rare. We're talking one out of a thousand uh, new parents. Um, it still can happen. And it's considered a medical crisis and important to have emergency intervention with like an emergency room or a psychiatrist right away. Or same thing if you are actually having an urge to harm yourself. Now, notice I say urge and right. not an intrusive right. thought. Right. It can be uh, tough with those intrusive thoughts. Sometimes they will be around harm but no urge, no desire to do it, in other right. words. And I remember actually, um, and this is probably at the time when when we met, is I was volunteering on the warm line for the yeah. postpartum uh, health alliance here in San Diego. And I remember very well those questions that we ask about, you know, do you have thoughts of harming yourself? Do you have thoughts of harming your baby? Like we, we yeah. go through this list of, you know, and I, and th that was actually very useful in my own practice with parents. Cause I remember I had a, a mother call me actually from Brazil, wonderful mother. And we talked and, and, and I just, was having a feeling like, wow, she needs more than, you know, what I have to offer like this, there's something deeper. And I started asking her those questions. And and right away, I said, you, you need to get professional help where you are now. And, and I checked up on her. And sure enough, it was, you know, she was really having a hard time. I think she had just had a child and had a toddler. And it was just a lot 
So yeah, just being aware, I think is important because like you said, you know, we are going to go through major changes. I mean, uh, you know, I remember, and this is, you know, 25, 26, almost 26 years ago. um, And, you know, if my daughter's listening, but I remember the, the, that first trimester, I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Like, because yeah. <laughs> I just felt so disgusting and just, yeah. you know, nausea all the time. It's like, what have I done? Yeah. And so that is to me perfectly normal. And it passed, right? Yes. Because then your body gets used to it. And, 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 and I've learned since then that it actually, there is a purpose for those feelings, because that is when your body needs to be resting. Mm -hmm. And you should be laying on the couch feeling awful and not doing anything else. But you know, we're we're supposed to keep on working and pretending everything's fine. So um, (laughs) (laughs) exactly, exactly. So thank you for that. Um, I wanted to go back to something that you said earlier that to me fascinates me is this notion of multi-generational and also just mm. our cultures. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, today we are uh, living in different places than we were born. I mean, I was born yes. in North Africa, which is completely different than Southern California. Yeah. Uh, I married a Frenchman. I'm, you know, half French, half American. So my parenting was definitely influenced by all that. Mm-hmm. But I know that I get a lot of parents asking me, how can I deal with my elders who mm-hmm. don't understand how I'm wanting to do things differently, right? They're they're respecting their elders, they're respecting their upbringing, but yet they want to do something different. And like, how do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah, that's where it really is. The art of parenting, isn't it? It's there's no one way. And I love that you shared that when you hold space with your clients, similarly, when I'm holding space for my clients, I think it really depends on the person on their uh, relationship with their elders, with their families of origin, with their cultures. Um, Are there themes of traumas? Are there themes of detachment or attachment? Um, So that that can be kind of this patchwork exploration in terms of how much uh, do they want to retain and, and weave in on a thoughtful, conscious level in terms of I want to parent differently. I want to parent also using some of these informed practices. And then how much, frankly, is unconscious? How much is it that when you open your mouth, you hear one of your parents' voices coming out or that you even notice sometimes your actions are so informed in these ways that are automatically reactive. And that can be the idea of like that multi-generational trauma, multi-generational patterns that we can really work through the unconscious stuff using uh, different types of therapy, like EMDR therapy is useful for that. A lot of these more mind body connected therapies. So it's a really neat process. I love, love, love this work so much, helping people not only heal from their childhood wounds, which sounds like a pretty negative way to look at it, and positive way to look at it, but also taking also the positives. What are the strengths? So exploring with a client who is from a different culture than mine, um, tell me more about your 
culture and what were the traditions that you hold really dear still? Not necessarily what are the people around you telling you that you need mm, to practice, mm. because that still is important. But as you are listening to your own internal wise woman, for example, or your own internal wise parent, how how are you um, kind of instinctively parenting now because there is an instinctive piece that often happens and for a lot of people from different cultures especially those who have either recently immigrated or are the first generation second generation oh there can be friction sometimes with the elders right that there can be sometimes this idea of no you need to be parenting this way you need to be practicing this way so when veering from that there can be sometimes feelings of guilt or betrayal um, and so there is a t- one size fits all. And would there be like something that a parent who really wants to really parent on their own terms, right? They have this very strong intuition. This is the way I want to do it. I feel very strong about it. How do you, how do you navigate that without, without, you know, shutting off because you still want your children maybe to have their elders yeah. around or and, and sometimes I've had families where where they don't want their, sure. their elders around, which which is which is fine too. I I respect that. But there's some that, you know, don't want to offend. Yeah. But at the same time they they know in their heart, in their gut that this is this is the way I want to do it. Right. And I think yes. that that is I mean, parenting is our opportunity to to evolve, right? To every yeah. generation, we 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 know yeah. more, we're in tune with more. Yeah. So, how do you like? What would be your word of advice to a parent that's listening that is that is struggling with that and really wants to to put their foot down in a gentle, respectful way? Oh, I love how you're saying that. Yeah, it's that idea of you can find your way. And you know how to find your way. And so who who are the people that will help walk alongside you as you are finding your way? And to your point, some people's way might look like complete cutoff for whatever reason. I cannot parent in the same way as you or I cannot be with you, etc. For some people, it's more like, no, my values are I still want you in my life. You are still important to me. I still want the connectivity with you and for you to be my children's grandparents. Um, But that doesn't mean I want to parent in all the same ways or I know differently or I have access to maybe different resources or different ways um, how to intermix the two. It, It again goes back to you will find the way for you. Hmm. And so I think in doing that work, sometimes grief comes up and then we have to work on the grief. Sometimes the shame and again, feeling of I'm disappointing my loved ones. We can work through that. Sometimes it's even just practicing a simple like boundaries or communication skills around, like you said, not wanting to disappoint the family, but also this is how I do it. Now. I, I think you said a very important word, which is boundaries. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that but, can be really tough for a lot of families. It <laughs> is. It is because I respect, I respect you and you need to respect me. Right. Yes. It's like, uh, that's, that's the, the, the boundaries. Very important. Yes. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I, I think we, we were as, as we wrap up, because I know we've we're kind of going over time, but are there any um, 
like words that you have for parents who are going through this reproductive journey. So whether they are dealing with infertility, trying to be pregnant or pregnant, like what, what would be kind of if a word of, of advice or, or wisdom that you would have to share with them? Yeah, I think kind of to just recapture what we've already touched on is just the idea of you are the expert on you. And so if you are feeling off, please trust that. I I am really grieved when I have clients come to me that have noticed something has been off for a while and are coming to me maybe 16 months after having a baby or, you know, a year of this, these symptoms brewing. Um, or I think even equally as, as tough as if they have spoken up to a provider that has maybe minimized what they've been experiencing. Oh, that's just baby blues or, oh, that's just this or that. It's kind of like if your pain ever gets ignored, it's, it's maddening. Um, so again, you are the expert on you. And so if you are, are reaching out for help and not getting your needs met, or if you are just noticing that you are struggling on whatever level, remember what I said, it doesn't have to be that you are severely impacted. You deserve support and care. I like to think of professional support as part a, a vital part of now the modern village. And while the original village might have been, you know, like the aunties and the grandmas and the people who live next door to you, now a modern village can also capture, you know, your lactation consultant, your doula, the you, <laughs> the me, uh, and and also people that are more your chosen family and friends, also the hired support. So again, you're the expert on you. So if you're not uh, feeling well, please get help. You deserve it. And if it is an actual perinatal mood and anxiety disorder you're experiencing, again, temporary and treatable, you will get better with support. Mm, mm, I like that. And and I love those words of, you know, um, I think it's on the, the international postpartum uh it is not your fault with yes. help you will get better just yes. th those i remember repeating that and and that was kind of the first things on that warm line again that we would have them write down but to me it's just so important it's like you are not to blame and that yes. i really want our listeners to know that this is yeah. there's really some very normal stuff that is going on in this journey yes. and uh and yes, yeah, so thank you so much, Beth, for for making the time to be here with us today. Um, and just uh, just to, to finish, how can we uh, learn more about you? And maybe if you have some resources for maybe people who might not be able to afford getting professional help, because I feel that that's yes. tends to be an issue in this country is there's not, you know, public funded resources sometimes. Yes. Um, and how, what, what would you suggest there? Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought that up because you're so right. That was kind of our conversation at the beginning, right? Is that yes, everybody deserves that support, but not all um, can access it readily. Uh, so my colleague, Dr. Beth Berger, and I wrote a workbook that actually just came out late last year called the Pregnancy and Postpartum Mood Workbook for this exact reason, because we really recognize that while our hope would be that everybody could access uh, a professional mental health support during 
their journey of becoming a parent, not all can do so. And not all maybe can would even be able to recognize that they could benefit from it. There's a lot of stigma around mental health still in this country. And so we wrote the workbook, frankly, that we wanted for our own clients, where it's normalizing, again, that your moods and emotions will change during this time, and how to look for these red flags, but also tangible skills to be able to build, to be able to manage whatever mood changes you are experiencing, how to be able to communicate boundaries, for example, with family members or with your partner, because that relationship can shift also um, how to be able to promote a secure bond and build that bond with your baby, even if maybe you didn't get the best modeling as you were growing up, all these tangible skills, in other words. Um, so you can get that online wherever books are sold, like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. cetera. Uh, so there's Perfect. that resource. And then even in the back of the book, we talk about wherever you are in the world, literally, that we give ideas of where you can access and find mental health support, because that's a crucial piece is, um, you know, everybody deserves also qualified uh, mental health support, not just a generalist that maybe doesn't know about, let's say, intrusive thoughts. If you don't go to someone who knows about perinatal mental health and how frequent and common those are, they might overreact and think that that means you do have an urge to hurt yourself or the baby when that's actually not the case. So it's good right. to get people who know how to support right. you. Thank you. Thank you for that. And and I will have those links in the show notes. So thank you for that. Right. And again, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Yeah, I'm glad to have been here. Thanks for the chat. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.